pod people. Welcome to Historical AF. My name is Natalie. And I'm Kina. We're a historian and a librarian delivering you the funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Yep. And in those holes is going to be secrets. Secret little, little mystery nothings. And this is episode 55. I can't believe we're in, 50, in the 50s. And right? 50s. This is unreal. And I'm excited. Top secret confidential shit coming your way. Although I was researching and I was like, I was trying to find something, but I couldn't find it. And it's like, it's like almost like it's a secret. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. Too much, too much secretive. (laughs) Well played. Well played, sir. So how's isolation treating you? We haven't recorded in a little bit. I'm still actually great. I still don't miss the world. (laughs) (laughs) I have so much to do. Like it feels like my social Calendar has not changed. It's just I don't go anywhere. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. The The good news is I can stay in my pajamas. That's the mm-hmm. good news. Yeah. I mean, I'm still working pretty much 40 hours a week. My mom, to, so we can still spend time together. We talk on the phone for at least an hour, hour and a half, almost every day. And we watch an episode of a show. And then Emery has bought, you know, video games. So we've been playing video games. And we just started watching Sons of Anarchy. So it's like, okay, my day is full. It's it's work and then mom and then Emery and then bed and then all over again. It's just this cycle. And I mean, it's fun and everything. And I still get alone time. So it's not crazy, but it's like still stuck at home, but still too much to do. It's not That's enough. True. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I was thinking, oh, I'm quarantined. I'll get to paint and do stuff. I haven't painted hardly at all. And it's so disappointing. I, anything I have made was for work, for videos. Mm-hmm. I am creating something that I know I talked about before that is for me. I'm recording myself doing it step by step. So eventually I'll just add it to work because it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I've made something for me, not to sell, not to do anything. It's just for fun. Oh, that's great. Just the little bonus of I'm recording it and I'll just tag it on to work. So, Oh, no, that's good. That's always good for the soul to do something for you on your time instead of feeling time constraints like oh I have to do it and I hope they like it yeah um, much more they don't have to like it (laughs) yeah yeah I used my stimulus check to stimulate my artness I'm reopening that yeah so I love all your cricket stuff it's so awesome and I like how it's shiny oh no I got a lot of shiny things I got like a holographic for glasses and then I got glitter for like canvas. I'm having the best time vinyling things. I made a makeup pouch that says fuck it and has a big sloth hanging off of it. I was really proud of that one. <laughs> I got koozies. I got I put cactuses on it and put stay away from me. Mm-hmm. Like it's all personal stuff for myself right now, but I'm like eventually I'm gonna start selling it. I like the tumbler thing. Yes. I'm here for the booze on a tumbler. Yes, it's like holographic. I like it. It's got a little ghosty. So yeah, my Etsy shop will be going up. I've decided that, well, see, here's the thing. I was trying to buy a bed and breakfast and everything was going really great. And then a world pandemic happened and now all small businesses are going under. And now for me to get a small business loan, I'm going to have to have a lot of money. So realistically, I'm like, this is never going to happen, but I refuse to give up. So now the Etsy shop is going to be my down payment fund. (laughs) So... Uh, well, if anything, I mean, or just put it off another year to save some money and yeah, and sort of 
restabilize. <sighs> yeah. Problem is, like, I know they want to sell because I think they're banking on that money because they want a smaller house and they just want to travel. So mm-hmm. after so long, they're just going to. I know they like me and I know his girlfriend is following me on Facebook now and they're the most lovely couple ever and I just adore them. But I know they're going to be like, I oh, can't wait forever. So this is mm-hmm. going to be my my plan is to do the Etsy and bust my ass on that and sell as much as I can. And then when it gets closer and everything kind of settles down, we're going to do a Kickstarter and then I'll do like a major, the library prepared me for this. I'm going to do like major media kits and try to get big businesses to invest. So like rent the whole building for a week or something like a corporation, if they can donate that money. Mm-hmm. I like Kickstarters because you get something. I don't like GoFundMes. I feel like I'm mooching. So anyway, if you want to help me out, it's Kena's Creations on Etsy. <laughs> it's open. I haven't put anything on there. I had I sold like nerd glasses in like 2013 and I was going through there. And I remember I'm really bad about reviews. Like one review will just tank me. <laughs> so I was looking at my reviews and one of them was like, I didn't like that she used white. She should have just left it white and gave me a three star on it. But I was doing Harry Potter glasses. So I put the white in there to kind of make it shiny. To differentiate it from the glass mug. It was my artistic license. And they did not like it. And they tanked my reviews. But I was like, it's fine. It's kind of like our first three-star review for the podcast. Because I talk about my plants too much. And speaking of that, I bought sunflowers today. And I'm really excited. <laughs> I know, you were so obsessive about them. I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> we're not, not everyone's going to like us. And that's okay. Oh, that has been a... Uh, thing that I've struggled with my whole life is that why don't you like me? And I know that I'm too much for some people, but I just I like to be blissfully ignorant that not everybody likes me. But yes, I bought a strawberry blonde sunflower seeds. They're Ooh. so pretty. And then I got a dark red velvet one, and then a big bright yellow one, and then an orangey one. So uh, I love some. <laughs> They're so pretty. And we have a big space on both sides of the house. They get a lot of sun. So I'm like, you're going to be so pretty. And I can see them when I'm like waking up or doing the dishes. So I'm really pumped. So this is what the 30s are like. You just get chickens and start planting things. I don't know. Everybody I know in my 30s, that's what we're really excited about. I was going to say that actually sounds familiar. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's it's a cute little shop on Etsy. It was like three bucks for a whole pack of seeds. I was like, done. Let's do this. Like Shout out to whoever that was. And I bought a mask on Etsy and it has sloss on it. I haven't gone anywhere, but if I do, I'm going to look so cool. <laughs> I have a plain tan one. My mom bought a pack and she had two pretty ones and the crazy patterns. And one was this simple beige <laughs> one. And I got the beige one. She wanted to give me the prettiest one. And I said, mm-hmm. no, I know, I know you, you want them. Mm-hmm. And the beige one is a little bit larger is a little bit longer and I have a round face or at least wider than hers and so I'm like no I'll just take this one and it's it's fine I don't need to be a fashionista with my medical mask yeah I'll just get the bedazzler out and just sequin that shit up yeah I don't go anywhere but I have to go to base and base is really hammered down you have to have a mask and I had a homemade one and I just looked so sad when I went before. So I was like, I'll just get a real one. Work is getting like that. They're laying people off. Oh man. At the library. They're basically reducing the staff by half all over. 
And the ones that will have to come into work because they think people at home aren't doing enough that we're going to have to come into the buildings now, whether we open or not, just to, it's, it's stupid. Yeah. I can hours about it. I was, I've been pissed for a while. At least you're really essential. Like you're working really hard and you're doing things not just any person can do. So, yeah. The only thing with my department, because we, there's four or five of us programmers and a lot of part timers. So it's like, okay, do you only need two programmers? Do you just want, like, how many, how many do we need? How many is considered essential to Mm -hmm. work the floor and to produce programs? The managers chose who to lay off and everything. And I found out today I made the cut. My manager chose me to keep me. But that doesn't mean admin will. They might still look at the books and like, this is still too many. we got to cut somebody. And I'm one of the newest hires, me and this other girl. So but at least you can paint and do sign language. Think oh, of it yeah, that no, way. I'm posting the most videos in my department. That's <laughs> That's yeah, definitely it. I was going to say, and like, I've been, I follow you guys and I only see your stuff pop up. So that's in your favor. So. Yeah. And every Thursday now, I started doing live art classes. So mm-hmm. you do a little ice cream painting with your kids <laughs> at 3.30 on Thursday. Or just for you, because I like watching them too. And I'm an adult. <laughs> I know. I, I said, even on the thing, I'm like, you can be just watching this because I binge Instagram mm-hmm. art stuff. So it's all the time. But I, I, I think you're okay. I know whenever Layman was having layoffs, I was terrified that they would replace me with just part-timers because they can pay them less in no benefit. But at some point, skills have to outweigh the money. It just pisses me off. Like, my mom is being laid off, and Emory might be. So it's it's not just for me. It's just for everything. And admins being kind of pussies about it. They're making the managers be the bad guy messengers. I hate that. it's a thing. Oh, it's so soggy because on the flip side, they're forcing libraries to open in two days here. And I'm yeah. like, oh, that sucks because homeless and then people that don't have jobs and then also people that are sick and didn't go to work, everybody congregates at the library. So you get the sickest, most germy people ever, always. And they touch everything. <laughs> I just don't know how to say Yeah, I just don't. I don't understand because... Well, for us, they're limiting the people in the building whenever we do finally open completely. Right now, we're at curbside mm-hmm. if you pick something up. But eventually, we're going to open up soon. And I think they're going to allow, like, only 30 in the building at a time. And basically, summer reading is going to be all virtual this year. Yeah. It's, things got to change. I think they said that 25 capacity, 25% capacity is all they're going to allow. But it's been... I don't know. Some businesses are fighting back. I know the movie theaters were like, we're not opening. There's no way we can control yeah. the spread if we open. So it's very weird. And I think of people coughing on the seats and stuff. And if you have even leather or if they're cloth seats, that's just. Yeah. And we both worked in movie theaters, right? You worked in one too. It's, it's yeah, like a germ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was just, and even then you weren't worried about getting sick when you were cleaning. You were just doing bare minimum and trying not to get stuck to the floor from all the dried coke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just get the host and you just it's good enough. <laughs> Which, by the way, in our trunk dive, I found a fun fact about our movie about people putting Coca-Cola on a floor for a purpose. And I was like, huh. Like, that wasn't enjoyable when I worked at the theater and it just kept getting stuck. So, huh. Okay. 
It was a dance number, so people didn't die. (laughs) Slide off. That's fair, I guess. Traction. So if you want to watch that drunk dive, join Patreon. Okay. I'll share that later then. I have an idea. Reminds me something. I'll share it later. Let's get started. What should what should we do? Um, I could roll. Cool. Um, it's in a drawer today. I actually clean my office. This never happens. Side note, Zeke made me. <laughs> He's like, I need room to work. And I'm like, well, I need room to cricket things. So so he made me a desk in the other rooms. So I'm like, okay, you win this round. Random. That's me. <laughs> Okay, so my word was knock, and we will eventually get to that word. (laughs) This was a very loosely interpreted one, but we're just going to roll with it. Because I was looking up secret societies, because, like, obviously, you know, secret. I know, I was thinking all kinds of secret knocks and stuff. Yeah, and that's where I started with, but all the secret knocks were secret. And I was like, of course they'd be secret. So then I was like, oh, yeah, the library that we met at was built on a cemetery of a secret society. So oh, that yeah. is what we're going to do. And I learned so much. And I had no idea about any of this. And it gets a little dark at the end. But I promise it gets better. I hope. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to talk about the Grand United Order of the Odd Fellows in America. That is a mouthful. And here we go. And almost all of the research came from the Virginia Commonwealth University Social Welfare History Project because they did such an amazing job. And then they cited a shit ton of sources. And your girl loves some sources. So first, a little background. I talked about this a little bit when I talked about the Second Line Parade in New Orleans. We talked about mutual aid societies, but I'll give you a little little, uh, refresher here. Mutual aid societies were created by Blacks throughout the country, starting in the early days of the United States, and then it peaked around the 19th century. Typically, these groups provided benefits related to illness, death, and other family matters like insurance does today. So while churches were often charitable within the communities, Blacks who attended as slaves or even freemen faced discrimination by those who gave out aid. So I'll just give you a moment to feel shocked about that. <laughs> just like, God damn it, America. <sighs> it so this, yeah. So, I mean, this is like pre-Civil War too. So this led to many mutual aid societies that decided to become like their own identity rather than have a religious affiliation. So basically a form of insurance. The Grand United Order of Odd Fellows was created in Europe first as a fraternal brotherhood group that included mutual benefits. Lodges modeled after the European counterparts spread across white communities in the United States around the early 19th century, but they were not officially incorporated into the bigger European group. Mm-hmm. And then Blacks were interested in joining and starting their own branch. And they started talking to all the whites in these unincorporated lodges. And shockingly, they all said no again. But fortunately, they were able to secure incorporation with the order through the lodge in England. Fuck yes. (laughs) And I would say high five England, but we can't high five anymore. So air five. And they officially started activities in 1843. And the early membership drew from established black groups who lacked mutual benefit components. The, oh man, Philomethan Literary Society and the Philadelphia Company and Debating Society were the first two groups. 
And then one of the key players of the development of this order was a badass named Peter Ogden. He was an African-American who traveled between New York and Liverpool, England, through his service as a steward on a ship. While in England, he became an odd fellow, and he was friends with all the odd fellows, and was a member long before the idea of an American lodge even happened with the white communities. He reportedly swayed American blacks interested in the odd fellows to focus their attention on gaining affiliation with the English lodge rather than the ones in the United States, which was a very smart move because that's what worked out. <laughs> Odin presented the admission application in person to the appropriate committee during one of his voyages while in England. And then while some in the American White Lodges felt the application would be denied, so they're all sitting around being like, there's no way in hell they're going to get an incorporation when we couldn't. The Lodge did not even hesitate, and they accepted it and made it happen without even, like, looking at the application. So I would love to be a fly in the wall in one of these rooms where they're like, this isn't going to happen. Wait. It happened. We couldn't even get that. <laughs> the dispensation was granted for the Philomathian Lodge number four, I'm dyslexic. I almost said 466. 646 in New York, New York. And Ogden Close. became the first leader. I know. God damn <laughs> dyslexia. Uh, with his first establishment at the Black Lodge came the ability to grant dispensations for the creation of more. And then the Hamilton Lodge was established in New York in 1844, which I assume was named after Alexander Hamilton. And I will not break out into a song, even though I really, really, really want to. It's in my head. Like, you, you just have to say it. My and name it's is Alexander Hamilton. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Odin was instrumental in making sure the process was handled correctly for the second group, as well as many other lodges opening during the 1840s. In 1845, the general meeting of the Annual Movable Committee, the AMC, included six lodges that had been created in the United States. By the time Ogden Pace passed away in 1852, the total membership was 1,470 people, and they had 25 lodges throughout the eastern seaboard, with locations as far as, far, far as Bermuda. I am, I'm okay. Bermuda. <laughs> The practical benefits of membership assisted in defraying expenses of burial, sickness, disability, and widowhood. While no exact amounts were insured to members, the success of the order suggests that it was enough to get the job done. So nobody knows how much money they were getting, but since they were able to cover the costs, it had to have been enough. Affirming mutual benefits was the Odd Fellows' explicit purpose, but it considers these aid activities a small part of its generally defined moral and social outreach. Those who were sick were to be visited by other members, not just given financial support. And the hope was to reinforce in members a just view of duties and responsibilities that would promote fraternal relations among the community. Vows were made to remain sober, honest, industrious, benevolent, a good husband, a kind father, and a loyal and virtuous citizen. He had me until the sober part, and that was number one. <laughs> A separate section addressed the use of the order to mankind and particularly distinguished the way the Odd Fellows unite men internally towards virtue and wisdom in a peaceful way. So it seems like a really sweet. They just want to be good people. So, mm -hmm. Now with that. Early leadership for the Black Mutual Aid Societies like the African Union Society tended to stem from their founder. But for the Odd Fellows, roles were highly defined and often short term. And the best demonstration of the order's principal structure is Ogden's role. 
So kind of like how George Washington was a good leader. And they're like, you should be the leader forever. And he's like, fuck no, I'm done. Two terms. That's it, bitch. And then that's how the United States became that. He was just like, no, nobody should have a long term. We're done. This is how it's going to be. So Odin is our Washington here. <laughs> so he was the founder and had great knowledge of rule and regulation application. Neither his knowledge nor his status allowed the group to allot him disproportionate formal power. Leadership restrictions were common among the Masonic lodges and other secular groups, but the order set itself apart from those because of the content. Despite their Mason-like power structure, the Oddfellas utilized biblical content in their rituals and for lodge establishment. So they kept the Jesus stuff in. <laughs> like you should. I mean, it's like you should. Yeah. Many historians note that the Oddfellows are one of the most significant Black mutual aid societies, even at its beginning stages in the 1840s. And the hybrid of non-denominational Christian content and Mason-modeled organization structure may have been why. That was a different... Why can I say that sentence? But I can't say, like, support. I... My brain needs a vacation, I think. It needs to get its shit together and then come back and we can reconvene. <laughs> and I mean, it'd be worse. <laughs> yes, nobody should have that much power long term. Big no-no. Anyway, another notable <laughs> element of was their inclusion of women through the household of Ruth, the Order's counterpart, which I did not know this. I did not know there was a woman version of the Oddfellows. I didn't know either. That's cool. Yeah. So in 1857, Patrick H. Reason led the successful efforts to officially associate a female group with the United Order in England, and then activities began the next year. The household of Ruth met triannually, and it greatly resembled the rules and regulations, including the largely self-governing nature. It is notable that women did not join the Order of the Odd Fellows itself, but the formation of a separate organization rather than a gender integration, which was common for its time. This is like 1850s. Nobody was going to have a co-ed anything, but it was a nice thought. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll give you your own thing. You can't come to the boys club, but you can have your own thing. Just still better than what anybody else had. By the 1880s, the Odd Fellows underwent a remarkable expansion period and went far beyond the local pockets of membership of its early days. The development occurred in a time of increased racial consciousness and institutionalized self-help for Blacks. From 1868 to 1886, which dyslexia nightmare right there, <laughs> total number of lodges and membership were increased almost tenfold. Over the next 10 years, 1,000 lodges doubled while membership was increased from 155,537 from the 36,853 total in 1886. The growth continued until the early years of the 20th century. In 1913, the churches were considered leaders of the Black community. They continued to be the head of civil rights activities well into the 1960s. And although the Odd Fellows and similar fraternal orders played roles throughout these struggles, they weren't as important as the church structures. So as time went on, the church kind of regained its position as the ones that were going to help people. All right. So this is where it's going to get dark. And I'm really sorry. <laughs> ba -ba -bum. I didn't realize that the North Little Rock part of this was going to be the saddest part. So here we go. Argenta Lodge 2197 of the Grand United Order of Oddfellows was located where the library is built that we met at. So... <laughs> 
On October 20th, 1891, the United Order of Oddfellows purchased land from James and Elizabeth Burton for the sum of $1,050. I can't imagine being able to buy land for that little amount. The good old days. The land was... I was just, I was just like, yeah, I'm trying to picture that, but that's not, I just can't wrap my head around it. This is probably one of the few times where we can very vividly picture the land because we were there for so long every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the land was located between 27th Street and Orange Street, so our library is located on Orange Street. As they are, we both don't work there, but that's where we met. So we're gonna, I'm gonna keep we're saying, gonna, we're rolling with it. <laughs> and it was in the Military Heights area of North Little Rock at the time. And that's where um, it was like a poor black neighborhood. It had no paved roads and such. So they decided that's where they were going to create a black cemetery in North Little Rock. Uh, 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 and it was there until the late 1950s. On December 11th, 1943, the Argenta Lodge sold the cemetery to E.S. Hubble for the sum of $500. <sighs> That is so cheap. It's less than what they bought the land for. <laughs> Crazy. So they bought it for $500. And then they actually continue to operate and maintain the cemetery for 17 years. So on October 14th, 1960, Freeway Development purchased the land that was known at the time as the Oddfellow Cemetery from H.H. and Mary Hubble for the price of $5,400 for the purpose of building a motel directly on the site. Okay, Keena ran time. This whole time that I worked at Lehman Library, I heard stories that they built it on a library and all that and stuff. And I was always under the impression that the cemetery was moved because the interstate, because the town was expanding and, like, mm-hmm. they wanted to protect it or whatever. That's what my little naive heart thought. No, they moved the fucking cemetery to put a holiday in there. A holiday in. I know it's not even that nice one. It's not. You're gonna I think move. actually someone bought it and redid it as something else now, to be honest. But all I can think is I know the some or not the cemetery, the interstate was coming in and they wanted to put a holiday inn in. But that area has all this other places they could have put in the 60s. There was nothing else there because it was just a poor neighborhood. But they were like, no, this place right there. I want the cemetery. Let's dig them up. Let's do it. <laughs> Just I don't understand the mentality of why. So anyway, yes, the cemetery was raised to make way for a Holiday Inn that opened in 1963. And it couldn't have been that nice because it doesn't exist now. Oh, God. 450 bodies were removed from the Oddfellow Cemetery. I didn't realize it was that big or that many. No, me either. I, there, I'll get into it. I was thinking like. 50? I know. Like a, that, like a little, like almost like a little church plot, you know, just some kind of. Yeah. No, 450. And this was a cemetery that started in the late 1890s. So from mm-hmm. 1890 to the 1960s, that's a lot of people. And I guess I never put two and two together. So this is why I was shocked. I was like, what the hell is happening? So. 450 bodies were removed from the Oddfellow Cemetery, and they were eventually reinterred at the Haven of Rest Cemetery. That is a little down the road. And a marker was installed at the Lehman Library in North Little Rock in 1999, and it commemorated those who were buried at the Oddfellows. Which, a little sidebar, um, our director, when we both started working there, he uh, did not want the marker there because he thought it would just accentuate that 
you know, we're bulldoze the cemetery to put the library there or thought it was haunted or something. And God forbid, he was a weird man. He was. Yeah. But RIP, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) He embezzled money from the library and then forced the library to be in severe financial trouble and then lay off a bunch of people. Yeah, so that layoff we were talking about, that was his fault. Yeah. And then he robbed dead. And then he died. That's how they found out about the That's how it was discovered. He was and then so people bored. spoke such nice things about him. Like, look, I get people don't like to talk ill of the dead. Yeah. But it's time to be honest. Don't be ill, be honest. Yeah. He was a pillar of the community, which I've learned from all podcasts. That does not mean you're a good person. You mm. either have money. Player. And his money was fake. Yeah. My my favorite memories of him, when I say favorite, I'm being sarcastic, would be like, <laughs> it would start snowing. And he'd be like, oh, I got to go home because I live in such and such in Little Rock. And we're like, motherfucker, we all live in Little Rock, too. Libraries in North Little Rock. And he's like, no, 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 I got to go. So the second it would start snowing, he would go home so he was safe. And then by the time he would let us go home, the roads were so bad, none of us could drive. Yeah, But it was okay because he was home. My favorite is when you're talking about how he just spent two weeks in Spain or China. <laughs> I remember that day. Uh, he's like, oh, where have you been? And I'm like, I think, oh, yeah. He was like, where have you been? I heard you had some time off. And I was like, my dad died, so I had to go home. And he's like, oh. And then somebody's like, where have you been, Jeff? He's like, oh, I just spent like three weeks in China. I was like, motherfucker, make me feel bad because I had to go home. We all have issues. But when I ghost hunted there, uh, his name kept on showing up in the EVP things that I'm like, for somebody that didn't want ghost hunts there, it's interesting that you're showing up, Jeff. He's got to be the center of attention, even in death. Anywho. So um, I did see another fun fact. So the cemetery that they were moved to, uh, Daisy Gatson Bates is buried there. So if you don't know who she is, she was a civil rights leader and a mentor for the Little Rock Nine who were the black students that were integrated in Central High in 1957. And the quote on her tombstone I thought was really cool. It says, quote, your future is purchased in the present. Only the educated are free. So, it's like, so yeah, yeah, she's really cool. If you don't know about the Little Rock Nine, definitely give it a give it a Google. I'm sure we'll do it at some point. But I know for us, it seems like everybody should know that. But we grew up in Arkansas and that was a huge yeah. thing we had to know. So. As soon as I was writing, I'm like, everybody will know that. I'm like, they probably won't. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't think it's like a common thing to know, but I mean, there's plenty of books about it and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it kind of just depends if how well they detailed the teachers, I guess, taught them or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or stumbled upon it. And the thing that got dark is that when I was looking up stuff, the, you know, uh, findagrave.com, you know, that mm-hmm. website. So when you look up the Odd Fellows, this excerpt came up and it said it came from the Odd Fellows Cemetery Project. And it's not online. And since I can't get to an Arkansas library to fact check it, I don't know how real this is or if it's remotely true. So take it with a grain of salt. But This is what it says. It claims that there were several injunctions and they would stop digging up the bodies because they were waiting for families to claim them so that they can make arrangements for them to move to the other cemeteries. But seeing that some of these bodies were buried in the 1890s, there's no family unless you know that your family, like your ancestors, were there. So it said it kept on getting stopped. And then 
This is the quote. It says, in the end, the body supposedly went to Gabriel Heights Memorial Gardens, a virtually unheard of cemetery that was closed in 1998 because it was not being maintained. If the bodies were buried there, no tombstones are there to identify anybody. And many people believe that there's no rebury at all. The bodies were just dumped somewhere else. And this just like broke my heart because this is Arkansas in the 1960s, which was not a good place. It just wasn't. I love Arkansas, but if you know anything about our history, it was a bad time. I mean, just the South, like in general. It's just, but the thought that these were good people, they were in a fraternal order, that their whole purpose was to make sure that they took care of each other and to be good citizens and help people, you know, bury their friends. And then we just dig them up for a holiday inn and dump them somewhere. Oh, I was, um, I am such an emotional person. I was almost in tears last night researching. I was like, I had no idea. <laughs> like, we, I was there every, like, almost every day for seven years, you know? And I'm like, oh, I just had no idea that that area had this kind of history. And it just makes me really sad. But, oh, all right. So, I honestly always wondered if the library, like, if they had actually moved the bodies. Because I was so convinced that the library was haunted. <laughs> And that's where my knock came from, because we were all, Natalie never had an experience, but I did. And uh, I worked in this weird, like, half level, and it was just the teen center. And then I had a cubicle-ish thing, and then I had a supply closet behind me. And all the time, I would hear knocking on that door, and there's no Mm -hmm. way to get in that door unless you basically crawl over me. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, you haunted. So after Jeff died, and I could have a ghost hunt there, we did. And... We uh, we came up with stuff. I got a I got a clip right really quick. Let me pull it up. Okay, so we heard a lot of stuff, and a lot of the voices that came through were like really deep man voices. And this one in particular really sounds like an African American man. And then when they said that, I was like, "Well, this used to be an African American cemetery," and they were like, "No way!" So. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I thought this was really cool. So about halfway through, the, like, the static, you'll hear, yes, ma'am. It's a really, really, really deep voice. I think so. I heard a, some kind of hiccup in it. Yeah, it's like a, it just sounds like a man saying, yes, ma'am, real quick. It's right in the, that's what I hate about these clips they send. It always has such a long before and after. I'm like, why can't you just cut the, one more time. I heard a voice that time. Okay, I'll do it one more time just to. So that was probably one of the ones that we were like, okay. Sometimes I told the ghost hunters that it was an African American cemetery. They're like, that's why. Um, you know how ghost hunters are. Mm-hmm. But uh, while we were there, they have this little noise box and it's supposed to be real time ghosts. Again, I think this stuff's fun. I like ghosts because it's history and it's tricking people into liking history. So I wasn't believing it. <laughs> Like they had this box going and you would hear giggling and like it was very odd and I don't know how they would fake that, but it definitely creeped me out. It was in the children's center, like Ooh. center. Yeah. yeah. Little department, yeah. Yeah, it was in like the desk, you know, right here, like that corner and the back on the so if you're facing the desk on the left. That back okay, so the picture book side. Yeah, it's picture books. Yeah, there was just a bunch of giggling and stuff popping up over there. And we're all like, oh. Ooh, creepy little children. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fan. 
But if you do visit William F. Lehman Public Library in North Little Rock, Arkansas, which I, you know, we shit on it sometimes, but it's a really good library. Yeah, it was just better. When we I like I like the staff. Like I, I talk about Maryland a lot. I love yes. Maryland. And if you do ever watch Little Rock News and stuff, sometimes she pops up because she's there. She's now their outreach mm-hmm. board where she does all kinds of adult programming and children's programming. And she is just a lovely person. I like her so much. Yeah, she's just Her the job. best. So if you go to Layman Library, there's a plaza. And if you go to like a little tiny corner, there's a plaque. And this is what it says. It says, Site of the Oddfellow Cemetery, 1891 to 16. Or, d- dyslexia. 1961, an early African-American cemetery established by the Grand United Order of the Oddfellows. Not very wordy for a historical commission plaque, but this is the North Little Rock History Commission. And mm-hmm. uh Yeah. That's uh, that's all they gave us when I was there, and I'm like, oh, cool. And I never, I, for eight years now, nine years, I don't know how long it's been. I've been like, I should Google that. I finally did, and I was like, finally no. googled it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started in 2011, so like nine years ago, I was like, I should Google that. Never did. Although I'd heard some people be like, there's no evidence they moved the bodies. Well, obviously, like somebody talked about it, but but we don't know. I don't know. But they got markers at the Haven's Rest, which has a lot of, like, civil rights and really notorious African-American people in the Little Rock, North Little Rock, like, history. So, I never went there. I never knew it was there. And I'm really disappointed that I never saw it. Although, it's been very recently that I've been, like, interested in cemetery stuff. I don't know. Maybe it's just, like, the social isolation is the one place I can go and research that I can't see people. <laughs> so, eh, that's true. Yeah, the ones locally, like the house that I'm trying to buy, I was like, I wonder where the owners are. So I went and found them, which it was very interesting because they were one of the richest people in this town, one of the original founders, and they don't have like a huge tombstone. They just have a tiny little marker that just has their name. Hmm. Kind of modest, really sweet. Kind of humble. Yeah. I mean, they were Czechoslovakians. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Like, maybe that was part of their culture and I'll not be very extravagant. But the other bed and breakfast I was wanting to buy before I realized it was expensive and I couldn't buy it. Theirs is like a huge temple to their family. So I was like, this (laughs) is very, very different. It's really interesting because they are both the same time. All right. For the next one, which one would you like? Oh, man. I don't know. They all suck. Oh, that's me. That's me again. That's me again. Shit. Funny. <laughs> oh, wait. Let's wait for funny for morbid. Okay. But funny with morbid? Historical. Okay. So do you want historical? All right. That's fine. <laughs> and uh, I do like my funny. It's pretty good. So bring on the sadness then. I'm prepared to support you on that one. Okay. Historical. Okay. So with the theme being secrets, I looked up just I looked at the weirdest most historical secrets in the world some have been discovered some haven't and uh, let's just jump on in so this is a random article like from Ranker it's it's weird history and seems pretty legit you know don't quote me but Anyways, we'll share the link, of course, on the website. So if you want to complain, complain to them. I'm just sharing the info. (laughs) But it's so cool. Even the thought of it, I'm like, I'm okay with this. Okay. So number one, no one has located Genghis Khan's tomb. 
Oh. It's funny, I know so much about him or hear the name, but actually no one really knows where he was buried. Yeah, we talked about him when he died of a nosebleed on his wedding night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's unknown. The legend has it that his funeral escort killed anyone they passed in order to conceal the burial site. And there are speculations on where he's buried, but no one has actually found it. He died over 800 years ago. And despite many searches, no one has located this tomb. And no one really wants to find it, actually. Like in their area, it's sort of just a well-kept secret. And it's almost disrespectful, they think, to find it. So they're just kind of leaving it like it is. Um, but I just thought that was interesting. Like, and like we know so much about the person, but we actually haven't found his tomb. It's still missing. Wow. Maybe that's like a cultural thing, too. Like, just leave it alone. Nobody yeah. looked for it when it was closer. It makes me think of the Egyptians, too, just to make this epic tomb or secret tomb and stuff. And you just let it be. And then, of course, we... Yeah, play it all like we do and put it on display. That's all right. Because that's how we learn. Anyways, next, this <laughs> one got me. I thought this one was cool. And it's a solid gold Buddha. Cool. <laughs> statue. <laughs> and um, it's a nine foot tall stucco Buddha statue. But it turned out instead of stucco is actually solid gold. So for over 600 years, a nine foot tall Buddha statue sat in front of Bangkok, Thailand, known as the. I don't know. Nope. Can't pronounce it all. <laughs> at all. <laughs> it was so heavy, though. It sat outside for years and with a simple tin roof covering the statue. Then in 1955, the statue was accidentally dropped. While being moved to a new location, pieces of the stucco broke off accidentally. And the shocked onlookers realized that it was made of gold. So it's worth over $250 million. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> this thing is, I mean, it's nine feet gold. I mean, hello, that thing has to weigh God knows what. And then, I don't know. But the statue has been covered with stucco to protect it from the Burmese invaders back in the 1700s. The ploy worked, I would say, a little too well. <laughs> 600 years, yeah, that's crazy. And also, like, to know them, like, put a little post-it in the wall, like, remember, statue, like, or emergency fund, like, <laughs> <laughs> so, like you know, know, like, you put your credit card in the freezer, like, um, emergency fund, St- uh, statues made out of gold in the front for emergencies, oh, you know. Wow. But 600 years, that's that's crazy. Oh man, I wish I was the person that figured that out. <laughs> like dibs. <laughs> <laughs> Mine. <laughs> I'm like, oh, the statue's got it, it's chipped. I guess no one wants it anymore. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> oh. oh no. <laughs> Don't mind that shiny part. It's nothing. Well, luckily the statue's still good. It's still intact and everything, and it's now just really pretty, but uh this is crazy, 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 crazy. The next one is no one knows how to make Greeks' secret weapon, which is Greek fire. And so it's basically essentially gasoline for those who don't know about Greek fire. It's the, is it Byzant- Byzantine? Byzantine, yeah. 
the Byzantine Empire from around 670 to their final fall in 1453. They created a fire that basically spread even on water. The only thing you could use to put it out is sand or vinegar. To this day, we still don't quite know how they made it. So it's just kind of one of the crazy secrets, mysteries of the world of a weapon that we don't know how to make. And that's actually probably a good thing, to be honest. Probably, yeah. I think I don't want to know. I talked about it for like a split second when we were talking about flamethrowers, but I didn't know mm-hmm. that it was lost. Unless I said it and you just listen to that episode and I'm a dumbass, then don't judge me. I don't remember. <laughs> we're on episode 55, people. You're binging these. This is, remember, this is over a year now of quality work for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I still didn't know that people didn't really know the recipe. I think they can make a best guess, but it's still not still not there. If it's a secret recipe and you don't write it down because it's a secret and then everybody dies, then you're just like, fuck. Yeah. Should have wrote that down. Crazy. Like, I don't know, like the statue's gold? Like, <laughs> sorry. That one, I admit, out of all of these, it has me more than anything. Just because, like, that is just like, oops, it all oh, a little piece broke off. Holy shit, it's gold. It just makes, blows my mind. Yeah. And it's right in front of everyone. It's in the front of the building. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm moving on. <laughs> um, that it, the identity of the man in the iron mask. Oh. Do you remember the legend of that? Yes. I'll admit, <laughs> the only way I learned any of my history is through Eddie Izzard or a movie. <laughs> it seems to be how I know a little bit about a lot. So I remember, yes, there's the like Leonardo DiCaprio. I remember him being in the Iron oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Anyways, so I did what I did not know is that that was it was a real thing. I, I didn't know that that was actually a real legend or historical fun fact thing so in the 1680s king louis the 14th ruled france as an absolute monarch even imprisoning a man wearing only the iron mask but who was the man no one to this day still could guess i mean was it the king's son or the king's cousin who knows he just kept this man locked up with his iron mask on to this day, historians still have no idea who that was and why someone would deserve such punishments. All I can think is that I just want to be the historian that finds all this shit. But, I mean, I'm in Texas. This isn't going to help me. But I'm like, how cool would it be to be the one that figures it out? <laughs> Next one. I remember I've mentioned this before in a past one, so I'm just going to just touch it. And that's the fact that I think it was in our inventions episode and i mentioned that romans invented concrete oh yeah um i thought that was just invention but I forgot we had an invention episode <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh yeah that sounds vaguely familiar but i remember the concrete part well, okay. I'm like oh i actually knew this but because we did it what's cool is that so just a little refresher that so romans created concrete like that's the Colosseum, and like a lot of what is still that we think of italy like it's made out of this shit and we don't know still how it's made still don't know after the last time we've done this episode the mentioning of that they still don't know that, like, still a mystery. 
pay, they have to repave every year. And oh. like I walked on roads that were Roman in Paris that are still perfect. Like we can't figure that shit out. It's 2020. No. I, I have a theory that maybe they're using something that's not here anymore. That's extinct. Oh, Because good... later on, on the same article, the Romans also have a birth control, an herbal birth control that they used back then. <laughs> it's funny they say the Romans were known for two things, war and sex. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. So they developed this method of birth control. And apparently one of the ingredients they used was this sort of type of reed that's not here anymore. Oh. So that and they don't know how potent the birth control was or, you know, it's hard to test the effectiveness of it. But they could not crop it themselves. They actually grew it in northern Africa. And it was so valuable that they basically turned it dis- extinct. They kept buying it and buying it. And then it just, the crop wasn't keeping enough with the demand. And next thing you know, it's gone. Story of humanity. So I'm wondering if that's kind of similar with the concrete. If there's something that they use that just is not here anymore. That they farmed from somewhere and just isn't here anymore. Huh. Oh, yeah. I was like, I remember the Egyptian did something weird, too. Acacia leaves, honey, and lint, and they would shove it up their vaginas. <laughs> Sounds so uncomfortable. Wow. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. And then it was like, and the Greek one, and Roman one, is extinct. Oh, well, that's a good point, you know, that it doesn't exist anymore. Maybe that's why we've never been able to have anything that works that well. Uh, our roads suck. That's true. Arkansas, like after a huge amount of flooding, will be potholes the size of your car. Flooding <laughs> or ice? Ice, too, yeah. It just chips away. <laughs> Marissa, I think I would rather have kids. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or just, just rather just not like, oh, not be with you. <laughs> it's just, it's, let's just opt for neither option here. Yeah. Well, I think in the 1950s, they used to make women douche with bleach as birth control. So, oh. yeah, I took a women's history in the United States and it was very yikes. They had IUDs made out of wood blocks. Not a good time. Nope, nope, nope. Nope, nope. Splinters. Ouch. No. I was just saying a splinter. <laughs> Uh, so bad. Like I've had an IUD and it was the most painful thing I've ever had in my life, and I can't imagine it be a wood block. Like, no, no, I no, no. Like stuff now. Like, <laughs> I, I remember that story, and then I remember the them saying that the reason witches cackle is because women used to put LSD on the tip of a broomstick and shove it up their hoo haws, and then they would get high really fast because you know, just mem- oh, membranes. So we'd be high and cackling. Like 10 years of college, and that's the thing I remember. It would be. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was a fun class. I enjoyed it. (laughs) I'd say at least you got some good stories to tell at a a cocktail party or on a podcast. Uh, Yeah, I know. That's why we have a podcast, because nobody I know likes to hear those stories at cocktail parties. They just think I'm weird. So my people... You have found me. 
<laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, my last one. There are more on this on this article, and so again, it'll be on our website, like all the other fun stuff we do. And so if you want to peruse the rest of it or give it a Google, I highly recommend. There are lots of cool secrets. So this last one is George Washington. So it's funny that you mention it. Had a secret spy ring. Oh. A Culpeper ring, a network of spies handpicked by George Washington to spy on the British in the Revolutionary War took over 150 years for anyone to figure out who any of them were. So as we know, dear old George was a general and of course he was our first president. But he also was the leader of the spy ring, Culpepper Spy Ring, founded by Benjamin Tomage, provided invaluable intelligence of information against the troops during the, the British troops again in the revolution by getting close to loyalists in the colonies and enemy forces on Long Island. The spies discovered and passed on intelligence regarding British troop movements, um, enemy fortifications, and secret British plans to attack the French army. So Washington, also known as Agent 7-Eleven, may have won the war thanks to his spies. 7-Eleven? I know. Where are the gas stations from? Even after the wondering. That's our next <laughs> Google. We're going to have to look that one up next. Uh, oh, that's cool. He was such a cool dude, besides like the whole slave thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so those are some really awesome ones. I like to say that Buddha one really got me. The fact that it sat in the front of that building for 600 years and no one knew what it was. And the fact that I know so much about Khan, but no one knows actually where he's buried. Man. Things we can't discover today, like herbal birth controls and the concrete um, and the Greek fire. And I'm wondering, again, if any of those were just because something... We don't have any more because either they used it up so much on crop that demand was too much to actually keep up with it. Who knows? Maybe toilet papers next. We'll find out. <laughs> I've been living for those TikToks where people are pretending like they're old and they're talking to their grandkids about the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. They're like, Grandma, mm-hmm. why do you pour toilet paper? Well, let me tell you about this time in 2020. <laughs> I just love, like, also, what did you do during that pandemic, during that thing? Memes. Lots of memes. <laughs> Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, so my next one is spooky. Ooh. Spooky. And we're going to do <laughs> Count Dracula's Haunted Castle. So I'm going to just mic drop and then pick it right back up because I didn't actually say anything. <laughs> I'm really excited. So, And your mic has- is on a stand. It's true. I can't drop it. I can drop my pen. There we go. Um, so this castle was made famous by its association with the legend of Dracula. Bran Castle is one of the most iconic Romanian landmarks in the entire country. So I know you've seen it. They filmed the movie Dracula there. And it's anytime mm-hmm. you see Transylvania in a creepy ass castle, it's this one. I know you've all seen it. And we'll have pictures on the website and on our social media. It's perched up on a cliff surrounded by forests and shrouded in myth and legend. Brand Castle is one of the most picturesque fortresses in Europe. And it has a history that spans six centuries. It's like we're talking about roads. Like, can you imagine a building that's been around six centuries? No, but I can imagine a Buddha statue of gold. (laughs) 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 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Can't help it. <laughs> it's location in the Bran Ricard Georges, one of the most important passages of the Carpathian Mountains, gave it a key strategic role. First, because it's a fortress, it was placed at the crossroads of trade routes. And then secondly, it served as an important starting spot for military invasions, while also defending the city of Brasalve, Brasalve, located 30 kilometers away. And for us Americans, that is 18.64 miles. Since this is in Europe, everything is in kilometers. I'm like, oh, no, I don't know that. (laughs) (laughs) It began as a wooden citadel in the 13th century. And it was built by Teutonic Knights. The castle's outer appearance changed with time, adapting to the purpose that it served. The current building, shaped as an irregular rectangle, was erected a century later. The 17th century saw the building in its round southern towers and later on its eastern side, that of a square tower. The edifice's roof covered in red tiles and it adds to this like fairy tale charm. So it's kind of like a white building with this red roof and top of a mountain it's really 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 pretty and that roof comes from the 19th century again here we have to change the roofs like every 15 years (laughs) the castle personally belonged to queen maria who was the wife of king ferdinand of romania it was not part of the royal house's properties at the time but brand's castle was given as a gift to queen maria by the local community and that's Brasov in 1920, as a reward for her absolutely remarkable role in World War I and in Transylvania's union with Romania in 1918. Queen Maria, who had the castle renovated by a Czech art- architect, Karel Limon. That's probably <laughs> not French. Carol Lyman? I don't know. <laughs> French is not this episode. Okay, Karel Limon uh, left Brand Castle to her daughter, Princess Lee. Leah. Leanna? Leia. Like, it looks like Leanna, but I don't feel like it is. Cause it's from- I don't know. I just know Star Wars. Uh, we're going to just say that. Leanna, who married Anton of Habsburg, and today's inheritors are actually a result of that marriage. So it's gone down in the family since then. And then, fun fact, Bram's castle interior was refurbished, and many of its 57 rooms were decorated by Queen Marie herself. And she was not only the queen, she was actually the granddaughter of Queen Victoria, who had a shit ton of kids, and they were, like, in every throne ever in Europe. So, hmm. she had her fingers in a lot of pies with all those kids. And she also hated kids. She just liked having sex. So, that's one of my favorite things about her. <laughs> she did not enjoy having kids at all. She was just pissed off that she was pregnant and couldn't have sex again. So, if you ever watched that show, Victoria, they really hammer that in. <laughs> Okay. It's really good. It has the girl from Doctor Who. Can't remember her name, but it's really good. Okay. I will check it out. Yeah, she kind of shaped Europe by herself. By I think she had 12 kids that all ended up being royalty in all different countries. That's crazy. I know. And then eventually she liked the castle enough that she made it the royal residence. Later during World War II, her daughter, Princess, I think Leanna, I'm saying that wrong, ran a hospital inside its walls. Today, Brand Castle hosts collections of furniture, costumes, weapons, and armor, and torture devices <laughs> as part <laughs> as a museum. And it's four floors of museum, so it's really cool, and I want to go there. Under an agreement with the Romanian government, the castle will remain a museum, and 
they had like a contract for like three years, but everything I read said it's probably going to remain one because it's expensive as hell to run a castle as a residence. And then also it's also like the biggest tourist attraction in Romania. So they're not going to get rid of that. Brands Castle is popular because it's the country's most infamous medieval landmark. And it's often called Dracula's Castle. The castle was depicted in the 1992 Hollywood film Bram Stoker's Dracula. And that is because Irish author Bram Stoker loosely modeled his vampire Count Dracula on the 15th century Romanian prince Vlad Dracula. (laughs) Which was probably the coolest thing I saw when I was in Dublin. They have his original manuscript of Dracula. uh, For Trinity College. It was really cool. I was geeking out. I was like, I didn't know he was Irish. I was 15. So I was really pumped. Bram Stoker had heard this story from a Hungarian friend of his. And he kind of ran with it. And then he took the Romanian prince and made him into a monster. Surprisingly, though, Stoker never visited Romania or this castle ever. He based his account solely on descriptions of the castle he had heard and one illustration that he found in Ireland. Okay, well, I didn't know that at all. That's crazy. Yeah. So, Vlad is known in Romanian history as Vlad Tepes, that is Vlad the Impaler, uh, because of his penchant for impaling invaders, criminals, and uh, personal enemies. Okay, rumors swirled about his bloodlust, including cannibalism. So, we haven't talked about cannibalism in a while. Oh, yeah, gotta mention that. It's necessary. Also, that he liked to drink his victim's blood. And this is probably what sparked the whole dramp- Drampire, Dracula vampire story. Drampire, I love it. But to the Romanians, he's not a monster. He's their prince. And I saw one video of a person that works in the museum, and she says that they believe that someday he's going to come back. I did not know that. Some sort of hero. Like, he's a hero there. Like they're like, he'll be back. This is just our legend. Although some of his victims appear to have been German colonists who built Brand Castle at the end of the 14th century, historians have cautioned that there is little to no evidence that Vlad the Impaler ever went to Brand Castle. I also did not know that. Dracula's castle never had Dracula in it. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't know that at all either. That's a little crazy. I feel a little like... Little bubble popped. <laughs> yeah, we've been duped our whole lives. So I still think the castle's probably really cool being as old as it is. Oh, yeah. And I remember I met somebody from Romania once, and she was like, if you ever come to Romania, don't go to that castle. Dracula was never there. Go to this one. And now I understand why she said it. So mm, there you go. Get on you, Bianca. Okay. Anywho. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Okay, historians say that in the Middle Ages, Bran was not a castle for nobility, so there would be no reason for him to go there. But it was important for fortifications in that uh, German colonist communities in southern Transylvania built on the Hungarian kingdom's border with the Principality of Wale. Oh, Wallachia? I did look that up. Yes. Specialists say that Bran Castle was never in the possession of Vlad Tepes because of that, because he was like 100 kilometers or something away from there. So he didn't mm-hmm. even hold that part of Romania. And his connection with the castle is pretty vague, to say at least. There is like this whole idea that he was imprisoned there, but there's absolutely no proof. <laughs> not only was he not the owner of Bran Castle, but it's unclear whether or not he set foot there, like I said. What we do know is that he was in prison for 12 years in a Budapest fortress by the Hungarian king Matthias. Why Bran Castle then 
and not some other castle? Was it somehow necessary to establish a clear connection, even a fictitious one between Dracula and Transylvania? Yes, and it all does it comes to money. Usually does, it seems. <laughs> Brent Castle is the most medieval look of all the buildings in Transylvania, and the Dracula myth itself has been a very complicated story, but it's also been the most popular story that brings people to Romania. So it makes sense. You have the most spooky medieval castle, and then you got the spooky Dracula guy. You put them together to make more money. So it all comes down to tourism. Okay, so spooky shit. Transylvania has been one of the spookiest places in the world. There's the vampires and the werewolves, and then there's those dark, creepy forests that are supposed to be the most haunted forests in the world. They said that one of the most convincing photos of aliens comes from one of those forests. Like, some guy took a picture of one hovering around it, and then he got fired and, like, in prison for saying there was aliens. So, oh. I don't know. We'll do that at another time. Okay. <laughs> and then it's also associated with Vlad the Impaler, the real Dracula. So, it has a lot of spooky stories. And then Bran Castle, being around since the 13th century, is supposed to be super haunted. So, here's just a few of the ghosts. A lot of people say that if you're in certain locations on the castle, you just get hit with a strong scent of violets. Like the flower. Violets. And uh, it's just off and on. You'll just, like, walk into a cloud of it. There's no flowers anywhere. For a second, I thought you said violence. (laughs) Uh, I mean, maybe that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Violent violets. (laughs) The most famous ghost to reside within the castle is a royal ghost. And like I said before, in the 1920s, the castle became the royal residence to Queen Marie, and she claimed it as her home, and it was her retreat. Since her death, many have claimed that her ghost remains in the castle because she loved it so dearly. There's been many reports of her apparition being spotted within the castle and walking around the gardens. And then another fun fact, when she died, she wanted her heart taken out, and then (laughs) she wanted it to be transferred to Balchek to be by the sea or something but unfortunately Romania lost a lot of territories including Balchek so then her heart got dug up and then it got moved to another castle and then it ended up at this one at a brand castle for a while until the communists took over and then it was moved to Belisor castle which was her summer residence it's so weird well one <laughs> Like on display, and then like they they were spring cleaning, and they didn't want to put in the yard sale, and so they just put it somewhere else. They dig it up every single time. I don't know it was there. I have questions. I mean, she was a beloved queen, so I'm assuming it was probably some sort of some marked, marked like memorial or shrine or some sort. Interesting that it's just the heart, not the rest. Yeah, right. I get the heart out of your options. Like you don't want like your left boob, you know, what's that? But that's my favorite one. It's bigger. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that would be Zeke's answer, probably. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So yeah, her heart was for quite some time. And then there's more claims paranormal activity occurring within the castle that have been made. There's unexplainable orbs of light. Shadow figures, possessions, you're going to check and big no for me there. Mm-hmm. The EVPs, they hear voices all the time, and even poltergeist activity. Hmm. Okay. 
They have an entire basement of torture devices. And if you're a poultry guys and you're fucking shit up and you're throwing like impaler sticks at people, that'd just be a big no. <laughs> I watched, they had a thing called the, the virgin something. And it's like the coffin thing with all the little spiky things where they put you in it and they close it. And it's all scary movies. They had one of those. And then they mm-hmm. had a spiky chair where you sit naked on it and it's got wood spikes everywhere. It, it was, <laughs> yeah. And then they had all the sticks that he impaled people. And I'm like, mm, no, thanks. Cool. <laughs> Some torture devices. I'm like, holy shit. How do people know? No, 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 no. Do you no, know the Iron Maiden? Yeah. Well, it was called something else. Like, it was that's called- what Diff Joe passed. Yeah, it looks just like that, but they were calling it something else. Maybe the Iranians call it something different. <laughs> you know, Jeff reminded me of something. He's like, I need flower-smelling ghosts. He's like, how do you get some, that kind of haunting? It makes me think, like, do you have if it's a good-smelling ghost? Do you just, like, make him stay in the bathroom? <laughs> I know. Like, in my family, we always say that my is haunting us, but we just smell cigarette smoke when we think she's around. That's not a great smell. No, Sorry. but makes sense, though. <laughs> She was a chain smoker. Uh, okay. There's also ghosts of prisoners who were murdered and they were told that they were going to get freed. So they're like, come on, you're free. Let's go. And then they just like murdered. I'd be fucking pissed. I don't blame any ghost that would haunt that. And I would want to be there. <laughs> like that sociopathic flip side. I guess people would be more willing to walk to their death if they don't think they're going to die. <laughs> So maybe it's just easier. Like, here comes this um, way. Sure. Yeah. And just torturous. It's just, I, I would be so pissed. Like, you know, you said no take backs, man. You said I was free. That's such a good comeback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's also supposed to be a monk that was supposedly sealed alive in the wall of that big tower for spying on noblemen. The story's never been verified, but his ghost is reported in the tower all the time. That's one of those things, like, if you see a ghost in a tower, like, excavate it, man. Find those bones. Get some archaeologists up in there. I'm sure they'd be thrilled. And then there's also been reports of ghosts appearing in photographs taken at the castle. And there's a famous story of some guards that were staying overnight. And then the next morning, they were found beaten and bloody and blamed it on torture-loving ghosts. So up until this point, everybody's all like, I'm going to make you smell like flowers, and I'm just going <laughs> to photobomb you. And then it's like, they beat the shit out of you. <laughs> it's very, uh, a drastic change. And there's some people that say Vlad the Impaler haunts there. But, like, he was never there. He might have been in prison there, but there's, like, literally no evidence. People are just making that up. Unless he's like, oh, well, I'm famous for being there. Is it like, uh, what do we talk about in our minigam? Ghost hierarchy? Be like, mm-hmm. I, that so I get a castle now. I choose that one. I like the dollhouse one. <laughs> that just makes me laugh. <laughs> and then why is this in my secret episode? theme thingy majig and i'm gonna tell you so in 1920 it went under some renovations and during the process they found a secret passageway Ooh, that's cool it went from the third floor to the first floor many hidden passages of movies you know show like a door connected with a fireplace and this is what this is it's the fireplaces how freaking cool is that 
I now need to see it. That's how I feel right now. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll show pictures. I have pictures. It's so cool. So the passageway is really narrow. So it's only big enough to fit one person. So like a large man with a sword is what they described it as. And because it was a defensive place, I think soldiers used it so that they could mm. sneak upstairs to the third floor and like shoot all the enemies without mm-hmm. being you know, discovered. And then also... It was really cool. So water is really important to human beings because, you know, like, get, we'll die without it. Which, yeah. surprisingly, that medieval people drank water because they're really wrong about a lot of things. But they had a giant well there. Water was used for drinking as well as putting out fires. So they had this giant well, well and it was built over a cliff. So it allowed for a room for a secret space that would be used last resort hideouts. And then they also would hide all their treasures in there if they got attacked. So nobody would look in the well if they were getting attacked by people. So I thought that was really cool, too. A little secret hidden passage in the well on the edge of a cliff. Very clever. Very smart. Nobody would look over the cliff either. Or at least not directly down. I mean, I imagine looking at the horizon, not looking down. Yeah. If you're looking at the cliff, there's the well. If you look down, you just see the water part. So Mm -hmm. off the cliff down is where the secret room was. So unless you knew it was there never even know i thought that was pretty cool yeah just a little mind blown (laughs) and there was also another little secret passage that allowed queen mary to access the park really quickly without having to go down all the stairs or something Uh, priorities (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was all very neat and then i read one source that said that they used some infrared something and they found like a torture room in the basement but there was no actual sources that said that was real and it was like a ghost hunting site so i'm going to call bullshit on that but it'd be kind of cool if it was i wouldn't be surprised really but i think they're probably going like oh it's vlad's castle there's got to be a torture chamber but he didn't live there so it's probably a little stretch this was really cool yeah, although the castle they think he did live at is just like ruins right now, but you can go visit those too. It's like Pelor, something with a P, I forgot. Philadelphia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wallachia area, and there's like a few castles there, so he would have been in one of those. So, more you know. Brian Stokes <laughs> weaved a lot of lies. <laughs> he did, but he weaved him well. I don't know if, I don't know how much my bubble got popped because it got popped because you know like he didn't live there and the author didn't go there so it's mm-hmm. like double pop but fucking hidden doors and all kinds of cool shit yeah. like all right I'm back on top like okay yeah I watched a video of somebody that works there and she's like yeah you know Vlad's our prince and he's a hero to us and. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, but then again, this brings people here and they find so much joy out of the Dracula story. So she's like, we just roll with it. I mean, money's money. And And they're getting like, they do tours. All of their website says right now, like due to the thing that has arrived, you're closed. (laughs) That's a fun way of putting it. The virus, the thing that arrived. And uh, yeah, they sell tickets, they do tours. And then their little gift shop has a lot of Dracula stuff. It's really cute. So they're really rolling with it. They know what they got. But yeah, I am. Uh, I want to go there. Although Romania is like, like, a beautiful place ever. 
just to be in like a giant castle on top of mountains overlooking Romania would probably be like the coolest experience. <laughs> I remember I'd go there and be like, this is Mina. This is where I'm from. <laughs> um, which it probably does to an extent just because mountains are mountains wherever you go, but they're all beautiful wherever they are. And sunsets are different all the time and I, the culture and the history. Uh, the dream. Yeah. Hmm. someday we'll get to travel again not that we could go to Romania but we can dream Hmm. why can't we go there I mean I'm poor that's why I can't oh that is a factor (laughs) (laughs) I was just like is there a law I'm not aware of it's more of that than join Patreon there we go. About all of our social media stuff too. Yeah. Stuff come at you. Yeah, we got lots of stuff. So yeah, Patreon. If you wanna, it's little as two dollars. You could watch us live and watch me not know what I'm talking about for like three hours. It's fine. It's fine. Nobody's quit yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also. Or something for everybody that sent listener stories this month, and then we'll need more next month too. So if you have yes, a cool ghost story, pretty please, true crime story, yes, town legend, absolutely, just anything, please email historicalafpod at gmail.com. And oh, yeah, and merch, we have merch. <laughs> Back up. They paused it for a couple of weeks because they were trying to figure out how to safely make things. So mm-hmm. they've closed everything down at one plant, but like they can all be in different so, rooms and stuff. So super safe in that shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical pod. And we have lots of lots of stuff. And if you buy anything that says sip on it, the stay in place, we're gonna donate our part to the uh COVID relief fund. So yay. <laughs> things and stuff. Anyway, join us next week for Seekers Part Two. Oh, I'm so excited! Weird, <laughs> and it's glorious. I love it. <laughs> I'm excited. Oh yeah, we'll see you next week. Okay, bye. bye. bye.